we are very aware that manufacturing in the UK has been a dying industry. We are committed to trying to support that. And the best way to do that is get on and actually use it. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 143 of the Make It British podcast. Can you believe it's actually two years ago since I set up this podcast? 143 episodes of it and it has really been an amazing journey and I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and listening, whether you're a new listener or whether you've been listening right since the start in November 2018. I want to thank you very much for listening and also for the amazing comments and feedback that I've had and the wonderful guests that I've had on the show too. So thank you very much. Keep your comments coming in and keep those reviews coming in too. Now, if you've not written a review, iTunes doesn't make it very easy to write a review, unfortunately. But if you do use iTunes to listen to your podcast on on an iPhone or something, if you go into the app, there is a little button that says write a review. You've got to look quite hard to find it. They don't make it easy. So the fact that you've actually found it and written a review, I would very, very much appreciate it. And I do think you can also leave a review in other podcast apps as well. So I would love to hear from you and hear what you think. Who's been your favorite guest? Who would you like to hear again? Maybe I should get some of the guests back on again. I certainly know who some of my favorites have been. And on today's episode, number 143, I'm speaking to another wonderful guest, a lovely lady called Kath Whitworth, who, along with her husband, Nick, is the founder of Celtic & Co., one of the original sheepskin boot companies, because the southwest of England used to be an area known for making a lot of sheepskin products. And Kath's going to tell us all about it. They set up the business in 1990, so it's been going 30 years. You may not even yet have heard of Celtic & Co. So I wanted to bring this interview to you so you can find out a little bit more about their amazing company. And I will put a link in the show notes so that you can see not only the amazing boots that they make now, but the one other wonderful clothing that they also have in the collection, which Kath is going to be talking about. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Kath. Here you go. Thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So I've been a big fan of Celtic & Co, as I, as you know, for quite a while. Your business has been going since 1990, hasn't it? Yes. So how did it all come about? What was your background and how did Celtic & Co start? Um, well, I was born in Cornwall and um, my husband was in the RAF. And when when he came down here, they posted him down here and basically left him here too long. So he fell in love with Cornwall as well um, and decided that he wanted to make Cornwall his life. So um, there aren't, or there, at that time, there weren't very many good career jobs. So we decided to have a look around and see if there was something we could set up for ourselves. Um, 
we were young and we were stupid. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, no better. So, yeah, I'd had um, I'd worn kelp boots for years, but they'd always been sort of something that only you only got one one opportunity to purchase them at the beginning of the season. Um, and the manufacturers then used to just disappear and go off surfing as businesses in Cornwall used to do. Ah. So I knew the product was good because I'd been in sales for a long time. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, you can sell something if it's good. It's, you know, it's no problem at all. Um, so we saw a business advertised, or oh, my mum did actually, and it was the kelp boot business, which at that time was called Hide and Feet. Um, and we thought, well, let's go for it. Oh, so I see. That was it. So they made one product, which was really um, a basic, you know, ex-surfers boot in browns or blacks. Um, and yeah, we just thought, okay, well, it's a, it's a really good product. There was a sewing machinist who worked for the business, but she was away for the summer. You know, I think Surfing. she was well, I think she was um, doing hotel work over in the Channel Islands. But it was, oh, yeah, she'll definitely come back and work for you. So in the meantime, we got on. We taught ourselves how to how to make the boots from start to finish um, and took it from there, really. Um, I was at home at the time with my young, with my oldest child. So he was, a, you know, a tiny one. Um, and so, yeah, Nick was Nick was running it and running it literally from a garage. And then it's because the product was good and the quality was good, um, people kept coming back and they would come back and they'd buy products for relatives up country when they were going up or when relatives came down for Christmas and New Year, they'd come and buy stuff. And we just thought, actually, this could go further. Um, and this was well before the Ugg days. Hmm. Um, but the boot was always called the Ugg boot. Um, so... You know, ah. it's a generic term in Australia, um, and that's where the boots originated from. So they there are sort of UGG companies that were in South Africa, South Africa, Australia, America, and here. Um, so we rebranded the company into the original UGG company, um, and then sort of really started branching out into colours, into ladies. Um, and of course, once you once you've got ladies buying boots, they want a new pair every year. So they're much better bet than men. <laughs> so the the sheepskin boot that was a thing that did originate in Cornwall. Then did it for surfers to wear? No, in Australia. In Australia, oh, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. But the so surfers loved it because it kept their feet warm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes, but you come out the sea and you can put them straight on. They're machine washable. Um, so the only thing you've got to do is wait for them to dry and shake the sand out. Ah, because the southwest of England is known for sheepskin, isn't it? There's quite a few, and there's even a few left. There's a sheepskin tannery. Yes, down yeah. that way as well. So why why is that? Why did Southwest be, become known for sheepskin? What came first, the boot or the or the sheepskin tannery? The sheepskin. Um, but I think ultimately, you know. It must be because of our beautiful wet weather that we have so much down here. <laughs> We've got very good grass. <laughs> For the sheep, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's that it's very difficult to have a sheepskin business that is not almost like an overgrown cottage industry. Hmm. You, can't, it's, you can't make it uh, mass-produced. 
Um, so because every skin is individual, it has to be hand cut. That has to be done by eye. Um, yeah. You've got faults on both sides of the skins. You've got seasons. So I think it appeals more to the West Country lifestyle and the entrepreneurship of West Country people. Hmm. Interesting. Because, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it is something that I always think of with the Southwest is is sheepskin. I mean, there's a few manufacturers left down there now, isn't mm-hmm. there, as well as yeah. yourself. But how have you seen the industry change in the last 30 years since you founded the business? I think um, it's more a question. There is a lot more technology down here now. So I think that is to a degree potentially giving people another outlet rather than thinking of what could they make. Um, But Cornwall especially has always been very much an entrepreneurial mentality because of the lack of jobs. Mm. Um, So it's, yeah, we've, we've lost suppliers, we've lost contacts when they just retire. But that's, that's what they've done. They've run a business that suited them in their lifestyle and then actually, as they've got older, have sort of allowed it to drift and run down because that's still fitted in with the way they work. Yeah. And they've they've never had that um, big money mentality of sort of building something up and then wanting to get out and sell, which I think if you're up country, you, you have to make your decisions financially quicker. Mm. So at what point did you start evolving from being just a sheepskin boot company and layering on the other parts of the collection that you have? Um, Well, we went, first of all, we went mail order. So we did that sort of, well, very, very early, really. Um, So it was late 90s, which was before most people had websites um, and could see that there was a market. Well, of course, once you go mail order and website, you then have to have the models dressed in something. So we were getting inquiries from our customers saying, you know, why don't you do this or why don't you sell the jumper the model's wearing? So, um, yeah, in about 2004, we started doing sheepskin outerwear and accessories because, again, we could use our existing supply base, use our knowledge. And then in about 2006, we started going into new knitwear and natural fibers. Mm. Um, and then it became a whole new ball game. <laughs> And the ethos of the company is very much about using natural fibres, isn't it, and natural materials? Definitely. Why would you not? Exactly. And it's all come full circle now where there was a phase of everything was about synthetics. Yeah, yeah. So it's very much. And have you seen sales pick up quite drastically in the last sort of 10 or so years as more people have been interested in natural materials and sustainability and local sourcing yes i mean our sales grow year on year anyway fortunately um there's certainly been a lot more interest in sustainability but i think the whole sustainability question um is a bit like healthy eating so do you buy organic do you buy locally sourced are you vegan if you're vegan do you buy ready meals um you know it's it's the same you'll never get people to agree For me, sustainability at its truest form is almost circular. So, you know, our animal, the animal is eaten um, or the wool wool comes off the the sheep for natural reasons and for health reasons of the sheep. Um, It gets used when it's finished with, it will actually compost back into the earth. Um, 
but our products are repairable, they're hand downable, they're resaleable. Um, to me, you know, yes, it's absolutely great that people are, are doing recycled plastic clothing, but actually I think the bigger question should be why are we using plastic in the first place? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. So it's, mm. you know, we try to come at it from the very beginning of the question, um, is this sustainable material to use in the first place? Mm. And you mentioned repair there as well. So do you accept the boots back or do you teach people how to repair them? No, we accept them back. I mean, it's a little tricky at the moment. We have sort of put a block on because of COVID. Um, but yes, we take them back and normally we get them in any form. So we get the the single boot <laughs> that ne is, is hard to recognize because puppy has eaten the other boot and can, <laughs> can we match it up? Um, or we just get, you know, some that are 20 years old that get resold every two or three years. Um, you know, we can, we resold them on a regular basis and we rebuild when needed. That's amazing. And actually they're really good value, your boots as well, because, yeah. um, I bought my daughter a pair last Christmas and, um, it, the whole family actually end up slipping them on. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's so good to know that they'll last that long. And also the dog likes them because they're fluffy and snuggly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you can re-dye them. So if you buy, if you have a daughter first, and you oh. buy pink, then you can re-dye them on a cold wash um, and dye them a darker color for your son. Um, we've had those and we'll sew re new labels back on so that they look good. But yes, we'll, we'll help people out as much as possible because we appreciate they've, mm -hmm. they've invested in us. Um, they've invested in a product that they want to last and we want it to last mm. too. So how do you find the other suppliers that you work with? You've mentioned that some have sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, you do m mostly work with UK suppliers, don't you? We try to. If we can get it in the UK um, and it fits the range, that's what we would prefer to do. Definitely. Um, otherwise, we use very close to home. So we do use mm. European suppliers. Um, but we don't use the Far East at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, again, we are very aware that manufacturing in the UK has been a dying industry. We are committed to trying to support that. And the best way to do that is get on and actually use it. Yeah, definitely. And also you're very transparent about that in your catalogue. You'll say, you know, these because you can't make everything here like like no, you said particularly no. actually when it comes to footwear there are certain styles of footwear that you just can't get mm, made yeah, here yeah. viably so you are also very transparent about this is this is made here yeah i mean if you're not happy to do it or if you're not happy to say you do it why do it in the first place so you know we want our customers to feel they can phone up and ask us any questions and you know, any of our um, customer service staff can give them the honest answer. So you're a family business as well, aren't you? Your yes. husband, is he still involved in the business as well? Yes, he is very just, much so. In fact, he's just recently been kicked out of his office and is now <laughs> next door to mine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's not here at the moment, but his desk is empty. Um, my 30 daughter, years working. Yeah. My oh, she's in the business well. as well. Yeah, yes. So, uh, yeah, she went off and did um, a degree at Cardiff in business management. And, 
yeah, has has ended up here for her since. <laughs> That's good, though. So many of our members that make it British and people I've interviewed on this podcast are family businesses. Mm-hmm. So many UK manufacturers are. So when you buy a product from you know a company like yours, you're supporting a you know the the local people and a family industry. How many people do you actually employ now? Um, at the moment, about seventy. Oh, wow. Um, and it depends very much on the time of year. This year, we've taken on a few more temps, so it's slightly more than 70 because we've had to operate um, a shift system in our warehouse to get enough parcels mm. out with maintaining social distancing. So, yeah, yeah. but it's, um, yeah, on an on average day all year round, probably about 60, between 60 and 65. Wow. So it's grown quite big then mm. from um, just a, the, the Kelt boot business originally. It's a did you ever did you ever think it would go like that? And and what would you have done differently if you were to buy the business again from the start, start all over again? Um, no, you- I think we always hoped we would get the product out to more customers. Um, but no, I mean we it, it worked for us. It, we were able to grow the business along with having a family. And in those days, there wasn't you know you didn't have nursery places unless you had a career job. Yeah. Um, so it was very much I was working evenings and weekends, um, and we've been able to do it basically self funded. So we haven't had to take a lot of financial risk, which I think, um, from our point of view, has made it a lot more stress-free mm. you know at least if you know you're producing a nice product you're treating your staff fairly and you're not massively in debt you can sleep at night that's so true um, yeah so yeah I mean I think if we were going to do it again it's hindsight is is wonderful it depends if you've got an old head on young shoulders but we potentially would now take more financial risk but that's only because we've seen how other people, especially if you were up country, you would have to do it because, you know, we're 30 years in now and really we're just getting so that people have heard of us. You know, you're either a customer of ours or it's who are they? Um, yeah. Whereas now, whereas you know, now people are sort of going, oh, yes, I've heard of them. Um, that would be, yeah, that would have been nice if that had happened a bit earlier. So did it rile you a little bit when there was all that fuss about UG, UG with a capital U, as in the, the brand UG? No, because sort of... they bought our trademark off us. Ah, right, so, okay. Yeah, so they we blocked them from having basically worldwide domination. So they'd registered in every country apart from the UK. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> so, and all they wanted was that three-letter word. So fortunately, um, we were able to do a licensing deal and it enabled us to buy our first proper factory. So it, oh, it brilliant. Kept us on the road. And it also got the boots noticed in places where they wouldn't have mm. been. So we were able to ride the back of the wave for quite some years. And that's when you became Celtic and Co. Yeah. rather than yeah. 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 We wanted to make sure that the customers knew that the product was still being made in Cornwall. Um, mm. because at that time, UGG had moved their manufacturing from California over to China. Um, and, you know, we didn't want our product to be um, classed in the same way. Yeah, exactly. And there is a difference as well. Yes. There's a difference, yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well done, you. And you won an award for export as well, didn't you? Or Queen's Award we've recently? Now, yes, we've now won two Queen's Awards for export, which is amazing. 
Um, so yes, a real honour. Yeah, that's great. And that was for for the whole company, not or a specific product. No, for the whole company. Yeah. Yeah. So where is the the main? nation that you ship to where who well, are the we, fans where else we um have been in america for quite some time so america's doing very well um we've also this year launched in australia that's growing well and we've just this winter launched in germany and that is also doing very well that's really good so, and how do you think the end of the year when we leave the eu properly how's that going to going to affect you i think we've talked about it for so long it's just now <laughs> let's just get on with it um, let's know what we're dealing with mm. um, and let's let it be finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone's sick of it, aren't I know, they? I know. It's, um, it's gone on and on and on. We're being self-employed and having a business and employing staff. You're used to jumping through hoops. Mm. You know, just tell us what ones we have to jump through and give us the paperwork to do it. Yeah. 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 That's what everyone's waiting for really is exactly. how it's going to, yeah. Clarity. So they can just play. Yeah, so they can just plan accordingly. Yeah. And then we've got COVID thrown into the mix as well, just to make things even more. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> make this year the weirdest year ever. Yeah, will New Year ever be the same again? I think we'll all go into New Year's with trepidation. With <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, has, how has COVID affected your your business? Have you kept the factory open? We the most have. We were, um, fortunately, because we're down here, we've got space. So mm. the distancing has never been a problem. Um, we had to take advantage of the furlough scheme to start with, with some of our factory workers because of some of our raw material now comes from um, Europe and a lot of it with mm. Italy. So, for instance, our sheepskin now is Turkey because that's the only double face footwear tannery now that is in Turkey. Is it um, really? Yeah. So, um, and our souling comes from Italy. So once Italy closed down and Turkey was on short hours, um, we knew we'd got a problem with raw material. So yeah. we had to wait until they got the all clear to come back before we could take the factory staff back in. Our mm. warehouse was working all the way through on a limited basis um, because we were classed as essential business and a lot of our office staff were working from home. Mm. So, so how do you think Christmas will pan out in that respect for you? Because I would imagine you've probably got a lot of interest at the moment. We have, um, and things are very busy. I think I, I, I think Black Friday, the, the month of Black Friday this year, is going to be a blot on the horizon, um, mm. both from a pricing point of view, a confusion to the customers. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of rubbish product flooding the markets. And also from the courier's point of view. So we're trying to encourage our customers to, if they know what they want, get it and get it delivered yeah. and sorted. Um, but, yeah, how long will it take the couriers to to resolve the issue? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's part of the reason we're doing our Make It British pop-up and getting our gift guide yeah. out earlier than we normally do to encourage people to start buying now. And also we all know, you and I know, that all those so-called deals in Black Friday on the high street, they're never deals. They're bought to go into those so-called yeah. deals and it's going to be worse this year. Like you say, there's a lot of stock that people have yes. had left over Yeah, that they're going to be trying to shift. Yeah. Um, but if they don't buy it in Black Friday, they'll be buying it for spring, won't they? <laughs> Hopefully not. We'd like that's what Make It British all is all about, is encouraging people not to do that. <laughs> so that brings me on to my next question I was going to ask you is why do you think 
people should be buying gifts that are made in the UK this year? I think you give a gift and you want the person that you give the gift to to feel good receiving it. So you try to buy them something nice and something they'd like. I think it's a real double whammy if you can actually feel good about giving the gift as well. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And how about you yourself? Where do you where, where do you buy your gifts from? Do you um, give people Celtic and Co? I do if they want it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> most of my friends and family are Celtic up to the eyeballs. Um, but yeah, I just I I'm very practical, so I buy people what they want. And are you, as for take it, you won't be going away anywhere this Christmas? <laughs> no. No, we, no one we is. Ever. We normally try and fit in a ski trip early in the new year, but I think that's looking very, very doubtful now. But I would have thought your product actually is so perfectly placed for those stay-at-home Christmases because, you know, snuggly boots by an open fire, yeah. sheepskin coat if you're going out for a dog walk. Yes, and for socialising outside now as well. So, Oh, yeah, of course. Are you actually in a lockdown in um, no, Cornwall at the moment? No, no you're not. not. You're tier one. That's probably that's one of the great advantages of being right on the tip of, uh, exactly. of England. Yeah. yeah, it hasn't spread down there. No. So once COVID and Christmas and Brexit and everything is over, what's your plans for Celtic & Co? Where are you, where are you kind of focusing um, on next? We're hoping to do two countries a year. So we'd like to expand it to two countries a year in their own language as well. Um, but I think to be fair, after this year, with what we've all gone through, I think you just need to have a bit of a period of pause and see what the normal life looks like again yeah. um, and see where we are and, and regrouping um, because everything has just been very reactive. Yeah, I think it has been a great time in that respect for people to, to start rethinking. Certainly a lot of our members that make it British that I've been speaking to are rethinking their businesses. Mm. You know, if they didn't have a great website before, they're making sure they do. And like yeah. you say, translating it into different languages and making the most of the fact that more people want to buy UK-made and locally-made products. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's it's just everybody is worn out now. Um, you know, because it, you're getting hammered constantly. Everything is harder, even just wearing masks around the offices. You know, the hand sanitizers everywhere, keeping your distance. Um, so I think, yeah, just to give everybody just an opportunity to pause and just take a breath and sort of go, right, okay, what what are the big priorities rather than just surviving? Mm. And I think in that respect, the fact that people are thinking about what are the big priorities mm also does play in well to brands like yourself that make in the UK because people I think have started thinking about their shopping habits and mass consumption and all of this kind of buying 10 t-shirts for the price of one in Primark. None of us ever need to buy any clothes again really. Do we? So, no yeah. So I love the fact that you repair yeah. your boots and things as well it's brilliant. Mm. Oh Cap it's fantastic speaking to you I'd love to come down to your factory when anytime. all this is over. Yeah, um I've actually never been to Cornwall. That's really <laughs> shocking and it's shameful to say that, isn't it? I've ne it's one of the only places in the UK that I've actually never been to. You can come and count the sheep on the journey down. Yeah, I will do. That's brilliant. Oh, well, thank you very much for joining us today. And where can people find Celtic & Co? Online. So, yes, online um, is the best way by sure. By you know, We've got a website and it's all stock-backed and the stock availability is by the minute brilliant and i'll get the link to that in the show notes for the podcast great right thank you very much thank you take care
you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.